0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show.
1: Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot.
0: The AccuNet Mortgage is talk- Text line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855 616 1620. Coming up next, Swirl! And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: So, Eric Bilstead, last night um, my wife and I went to the Marquette basketball game, and it was because everything's all about television nowadays. The game mm-hmm. started at 8 o'clock yep. because, you know, right. they have, right, they have games that start 6 and games that start 8 which means it actually starts about 8.15 because sure. the first game always runs a little bit long so we don't get out of the game until after 10 and we, we take a shuttle from a place and so I, I'm, I'm on the freeway going northbound I-43 going northbound I, going northbound, I don't know 10.30, 10.45 and all of a sudden the freeway is down to one lane there's all the signs up saying okay the two left lanes closed and so I admit and, and it starts about Keith. F- avenue and it's like two lanes close so you're we're, we're crawling i'm in a traffic jam right. at ten forty five or 11 o'clock at night and i i'm just i admit i'm i'm kind of tired and i'm a little bit cranky and i know people might find that hard to believe but i'm tired and <laughs> a tad cranky <laughs> <laughs> but you know you just you just kind of want to get home and i'm I, i'm driving and so the two left lanes are blocked but there's there's no work going on so you you go to Keefe and the lanes are blocked then you go up to Capitol, and and the lanes are blocked and i'm not i'm not there's no work going on and i'm like okay where where are these workers and i'm starting to grumble and my my wife is saying just just relax calm down i said this could be a radio story until we get up to over over the bridge between like Capitol and hampton there and there's like these three big trucks and i don't see guys but i'm i'm keep trying to keep my eyes on the road and my wife says no i wonder what they're doing because they've got this big machine out and they've got like this looks looks like it's a big hole in in the 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 road and i'm going huh that's not it so i got home i checked this out and apparently what what happened is they had to do emergency repairs like to the bridge or something like that, em- emergency repairs, and I'm thinking, okay, well, never mind. I'm not going. to I, I yeah. guess that's a that's a good enough excuse to close the freeway because apparently from like ten until five in the morning they they had it they had it closed and they that's were they, do, yes. they were well they were drilling into something or whatever. But I'm thinking, okay, I'm, last thing I want is some like giant sinkhole. I don't know what it was, but something to develop that you know you fall through as you're going over you know that that bridge that's up there and oh, stuff. Sure, right. So then. all right, so I all my bad thoughts that I did not voice on the radio but i all the bad thoughts and the hostile stuff i felt towards the department of transportation what are they doing closing these two lanes of traffic you're inconveniencing me i just i i apologize for all those bad thoughts and um i'm glad that i'm glad things are safe so that's it (laughs) i've i i i have learned so i'm 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 calmer i'm better we ended up ultimately getting home and of course you know marquette won last night so that was a that was a good situation all right well, the the secret is out, right? They have now disclosed it. No, we we don't know if they're going to change the name of the uh, of the restaurant, you know, Fridays from the, the dumb name that they came up with to replace Fridays. But we do know that what it, it, restaurant to be named later, right? That's what they're, they're going to call yep, it later. Yep. Okay, which might be one of the most. If if that if they really stick with that, that's one of the most genuinely stupid names for a, a restaurant ever. I'm convinced that, you know, you, you throw in, you take a bunch of people, you throw in a whole bunch of beer, and you let them come up with a name, and that's that's what they come up with. So later, all right, yeah. So that's like the to player fun. to be named later. The rest no, I I, I I understand the thought. It's just it's dumb. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just I, it's just it's just it's just flat out dumb. Now it's not. It's not Marquette Gold Dome. Now, for people who... For people who might not remember, Marquette decided that they were going to change their, their nickname because, you know, Warriors, they decided was offensive. And then there was resistance to Golden Eagles. So they got all these high-powered people together, including PR folks together. And the best they could come up with was Marquette Gold. And that, of course, lasted, well, not necessarily that long. And everybody said, boy, that was dumb. So I, I don't know if the restaurant later is, is as bad as Marquette Gold, but it's, it's, it's kind of up there. In any event, Everybody knows right now that the the naming rights deal that Miller Brewing had with the, the brewers expires after next year. And for people who might not be familiar with what was going on behind the scenes, the truth of the matter is, you know, Miller, Miller Coors, all the different incarnations it's going through and all the different changes and all the different takeovers that have gone on. The truth is Miller did not want to pay the money and what it would cost to renew the naming rights that that's just that's just kind of the reality of this and I understand there's all sorts of people out there who said oh, I, I want it. I wish it was always Miller Park and it is always going to be Miller Park well okay actually what happened is American family, I think, really bailed out a lot of people because they stepped up in a big way. And we don't know the terms. They're not releasing the terms of the deal. But American Family agreed to take over. They didn't force Miller out. Miller didn't want to keep the naming rights. They didn't want to spend the money to do it. So American Family comes in, and actually I I know there was all this – you know, hostility being directed towards American family. And American family, they're the good guys in this because they came in. And again, they, they took over naming rights, presumably spent a ton of money when otherwise there would be a vacuum on this. So the question's been, what what were we going to call what is currently Miller Park? What were we going to call it after next season? And it was announced yesterday that the name of the stadium is going to be American Family Field that will begin, well, January 1st of next year. So, you know, people have a little bit of a chance to get used to it. So American Family Field will be the name of this. Nothing more complicated than that. And you've got the alliteration, American Family Field, you know, the the two Fs. All right, one segment. 855-616-1620, that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Will you accept the new name, or are people going to be referring to the stadium, soon-to-be American Family Field? Is it going to be Miller Park in the minds of people for decades to come? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Academic Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I actually think that the name change is going to be easier and more accepted than a lot of people think. I know right now, because it's been the only name that the stadium has had since its inception, that people can't think of the stadium as being anything other than Miller Park. I understand there's also always been a, a Good relationship and a good symmetry between, okay, Miller Brewing. The stadium is located kind of by the Miller Valley. So it, it's made sense. It was a natural partnership. But candidly, you know, my guess is, my guess is within the first year. People are going to accept the fact that it's American family field, and that's what they're going to be referring to it as. That is my sense. Will you be accepting? And more importantly, how do you think the public will accept this? Will we be still talking 30 or 40 years from now about how it's Miller Park? My answer would be no. All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gru is lining up the calls. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: You know, honestly, it took me a little bit of time to start thinking about the the stadium, the amphitheater down at Summerfest. I mean, to me, it was always the Marcus. All right. So it it took me a little bit of time. But now, I mean, it's the American Family Insurance Amphitheater. and, And that's how I think of it. I think people are going to pretty much feel the same way about now. American Family Field once once Miller gives up the naming rights at the end of the year. Let's start with Kyle in Sun Prairie. Kyle, you're on WTMJ.
2: Hi. So yeah, I grew up in Milwaukee. Um, I think uh, for me personally, I still at times refer to Miller Park subconsciously to, as County Stadium. Right. Um, I think for myself, I will probably subconsciously for years. And consciously call it Miller Park, not out of spite, but that's just what it was has been for the right. last a couple of decades for me. Um, I think over time, obviously, Ameri- um, American Family um, Field, you don't know, <laughs> American um, Family field. field, yeah, yeah, American Family Field. I think it will, it will sit, sit well with people in the same way. A few years ago, I thought there's no way I'm going to ever latch on to Pfizer Forum. It's going to Bradley Center sounds natural to me. Yet now, that's, after a few years, um, and, and there again, I think that's important thing is if the Brewers still put a quality product on the field, I don't think people have a problem. If with the Brewers, the, the biggest thing we have to worry about is in the field, then we have more problems on our hands.
3: Well, that, I,
1: I, amen to that. You know, and and I, I I mean, I understand it's always like this with naming rights. For example, the the Convention Center downtown. I admit that I I still. I still think of it as the Midwest Express <laughs> Center. I, I I do. But but I'm you know, and it hasn't been that for for ages. I, I think, you know, sometimes it just takes a little getting used to. Now again I I I also understand for years and years and years the what's now like the Marcus Center for the Performing Arts. If you grew up around here, it was called the Performing Arts Center, and, and I think you know there's still people of my generation that refer to it as the P. If I say the PAC, people my age know exactly what I'm talking about. If you grew up around here, so I haven't necessarily caught up with it, but I. I think in this particular case, especially, you know, once the new branding goes on, I think people are going to adapt to it. And, again, let's not lose sight of the fact, and this is the, the one thing I want to emphasize, nobody should be mad at the Brewers, nobody should be mad at Miller, and certainly nobody should be Amer- mad at American family that is stepping up in a big way in the Milwaukee community with, you know, the, the naming rights. Um, because, you know, if, like I say, Miller didn't want this anymore, and I'm not ripping Miller for that, Miller didn't want to spend spend the money. American family stepped up just like they stepped up with the amphitheater down on the Summerfest grounds and I think they deserve credit for that. Let's talk to Eddie. Eddie you're on WTMJ.
4: Hey, Jeff, thanks for taking my yes, call. Sir. Um I think that you know I don't have a problem with the name, and I think it's going to be just kind of like trying to remember to run write two thousand twenty as opposed to two thousand nineteen. <laughs> right, it's going to take a minute. Uh, right. But the question that I had was: you got Miller Parkway, and you got all those businesses on that road, and you know, are they going to have to change their letterhead? Are they going to turn it to American Family Parkway? I mean, they've got websites that got that address. There's there's just a big domino effect that's going to happen from. If they do change that road, because right. what's the rights of it being Miller Parkway anymore?
1: Well, do you. OK, let me ask you this. Do you think they should? I mean, right mean, right. Because you're exactly right. It's more than just changing a couple street signs. I mean, that's something that presumably right. the city could do. You go out, you change the street signs. But it does impact all the businesses. All do you think that they should change the name of the streets? I,
4: I think the street name. Um I mean, I don't know if that was part of the deal when Miller paid for the- for, for the naming rights, but I think so many people are just used i mean there's a the sign on the freeway Miller Parkway you know right. so well, many they're gonna have are to change yeah, to yeah, right, being yeah, there Interesting. You know, so it's like i would I would think that you know keeping it Miller Parkway would be uh, a good thing um just because Miller did you know for years support the brewers, and I think they kind of earned a little bit of that, you know. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, if they do change it, I just think it's going to be, uh, uh, one of your words, a boondoggle.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nicole. Well, you know, okay, now think about the Packers. You, you've got, you've got Holmgren Way, right? I mean, you, you've got, you've, you've got these streets that are named after former coaches that, that aren't there anymore, and, and nobody has a problem. Now, I, I do understand that, that just kind of thinking about it intellectually, you know, if, if it's, it's, if it's Miller Park Way, and Miller Park Way no longer leads to Miller Park. Do you need to make a change? I'm I'm less concerned about that. I guess that's one where you do. You maybe you want to hear from the local businesses and decide. You know, is, is it is it worth making the change or not? Eh, I I don't think too many people are going to get worked up about that one way or the other. There is a cost to changing all the signage, but presumably the Brewers have figured that in. Let's talk to Dan in West Allis. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
0: Hey, how are you?
1: I'm well, thank you. Are people going to adjust to this new name?
0: Yeah, I you know I
5: was uh, I was happy to hear the new name actually when I when they when i had heard American Family was uh, looking at the naming rights and I thought they'd do something funky like AmFam Park or whatever. Right. I think American Family Field. You know, it's like hot dogs, apple pie, American Family. I think it's a perfect name for a, a ballpark, and uh, I you know. I, I applaud American Family for stepping up. I mean, they didn't call it American Family Insurance Field. It's American Family Field. I think it's yeah. great.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Again, thanks for calling. And that, that, that is the second reason for doing this topic, that I, I understand that when this first came out, there was some residual Bad feelings towards American family. Well, I mean, here's a text. Um, Jeff, my thought is that Miller Coors is not the same company that bought the naming rights to Miller Park when it was built. It may take some time, but fans will appreciate American family insurance stepping in to fill the void at American Family Field or AmFam Field. I know I am. And I, I agree with that absolutely, totally. Joe in Janesville. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
6: Hello, thank you for taking my call. Well, thank you for calling. I guess I'm the one dissenter. I don't think I'm going to uh, necessarily applaud that name. And I was t- telling your producer, brewers and Miller Beer go together much more than a ma- American Family Field. And my argument is, as long as, as American Family Insurance has that much money to spend on something that's only a name, let us have a reduction in our premiums, and <laughs> well, you can. I would go along
1: with that. Well, th- thanks for the call, Joe. I mean, okay. Now the flip side is I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make the case for American Family. American Family would say that by one of the things they want to do by by sponsoring the naming rights. First of all, it's a way of giving back to their community, and in this case, I know they're based out of Madison, but you know they're they're talking about the region, so it's one of our ways of giving back to the region. We are we are contributing. We sponsor the thing at Summerfest that helps underwrites under costs at Summerfest. We sponsor the, the naming rights for the stadium that helps uh, again cover costs for the stadium. I think they would also argue that it, hey, it's a good business decision because you know we're going to be exposing our brand to all sorts of people so maybe people will hear american family insurance or american family field and they will consider using us for insurance then maybe they wouldn't have done it otherwise so if we sell all sorts of more insurance policies maybe that means we make some more money and we can reduce your premiums that's what they would argue don't don't know one way or the other but i'm certainly not going to fault them because like i say they're they're stepping up a big way james in milwaukee james you're on wtmj how you doing jeff real well thank you sir
5: I am, I am I am with American family and I think that's a cool name and that and I think that uh, they could change um you know the, with the park and that it rolls right out out your mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh I think that it could take Miller uh what do you call it called Miller Park uh Parkway with the businesses then and have that leading on up to American family uh, Yeah. uh field.
1: Yeah, well and, and they they could certainly do that and and somebody points out correctly it's it's not Miller Parkway. It, it's Miller Park Way. Three words. But I, I guess, I I don't have a problem with Miller Park Way leading into American Family Field. I I can get used to it. I can adapt. There's some. <laughs> we we are a resilient people. I, I think, you know, maybe it might be tough, and I undoubtedly I will probably make that mistake a couple times, you know, on the radio, and you can then call my attention to it. But at the end of the day, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get it. I, I got Pfizer Forum, and I don't say the Fiserv Forum. I understand it's Fiserv Forum. I've gotten American Family Amphitheater on the Summerfest grounds. I think we're – I think we can figure this all out as well. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The big discussion
1: over the last couple of days has been about this latest coronavirus. Now, I admit coronavirus sounds like really, really scary. You hear coronavirus and, and it and it can be really scary. A coronavirus for people who, who don't know, it's one of these. There's a large family of viruses that cause illness. And, you know, a, a lot of times coronaviruses cause cause a common cold and um they can also lead to more severe infections kind of like pneumonia in some cases there have been these viruses these coronaviruses which have caused uh, kind of well like wide scale health problems for example in, in 2002 and 2003, you might remember we had the, um, SARS severe acute respiratory syndrome. It began in China and it infected some 8,000 people during that outbreak. Then there was also the Middle East respiratory symptom or what symptoms are what they called MERS. So a, a coronavirus can be a big deal, but at the same time for for many, many people, it's going to be a respiratory infection. It's going to be the, the symptoms that are going to be similar to what you get with, with a cold. But it, it's nothing to, to fool around with because, again, depending on who gets it and what your immune system looks like, you know, it, it can have very, very severe consequences, including death. So this latest coronavirus, what is this all about? What they believe is they have traced it to a market in Wuhan, China, which is a province in China, most occasionally you will have one of these viruses that passes from animal to humans. Most don't. This one does. That's one of the characteristics of certain types of coronaviruses, passes from animals to human. So what they found is that there were a number of people who were in Wuhan, this province in China, Wuhan. And who who somehow were exposed to this. And as a result, um, you've you started to see cases spreading since the end of last year, December 31st. So over the course of the last three plus weeks, there have been in China 509 confirmed cases of this, this coronavirus. And they believe it was all people who are either from this province who were or who were in the province. These 509 cases have led to 17 deaths. Well, as often happens, this virus... It can be spread not just from animal to human, but it can be spread from human to human. So, you know, if somebody has been exposed to this, caught it, and then they get on an airplane or they go into an airport or they go into this public area and they sneeze or they cough, you know, what happens is they can spread the virus. And what they're starting to see is that this confirmed cases are starting to spread Um Four cases, confirmed cases in Thailand, one in South Korea, one in Japan, one in the United States thus far, that would be Washington State, one in Taiwan. But the numbers kind of go up on, on a daily basis because this thing can spread. No deaths right now outside of of China. But it's kind of a it is a scary potential thing. What they have started to do, what the authorities have started to do, is they have begun screening passengers who are coming into major U.S. airports. And I believe they have five airports right now, including O'Hare. Where if Atlanta is another one, if people have have been to China and particularly been to Wuhan, China, what they're doing is they're screening and they're aggressively screening people to look for symptoms. If people are getting on the on the planes or they're on the planes and they're noticing that they've got fevers or something like that, they're they're aggressively screening and and there might be a, a quarantine that's going on there. Okay, our number. 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Obvious, and by the way, there's no there's no vaccine for this at this point in time. I mean, if you get it, you, you get it. And for most people, again, it's going to be, you're going to be, un- if you were to get it, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be a high fever. It, it's going to be, uh, you know, the, the respiratory symptoms. It could lead to pneumonia. It could have really, really bad, could lead to death. But for most people, you're going to be uncomfortable, but, you know, you're going to recover from it. But it's still not something that you want to catch, and it is highly contagious. So the airports are now starting to aggressively screen for this. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the airlines do more? Should the government do more? Should, for example, we put an embargo while this is going on, should we put an embargo on travel to China? In the case of the the guy in Washington State, he had traveled to the Wuhan proce- uh, pro- province and then had, had returned. I mean, how aggressive do we need to be in ordering to con- try to control this, including while this is until they can get a handle on this? I mean, again, Should we perhaps, at least for a limited time, should we say, okay, no more incoming flights until we get a handle on this? Or would that be an overreaction? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How concerned are you by this, and do you think the government is doing enough to protect those of us who are in the United States from being exposed to this? flu this virus which is starting to spread worldwide we discuss in just a moment i'll tell you where i come down on this as well right now uh, let's take a quick break back with more in just a moment this is jeff
0: wagner welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj look I, i i don't think
1: this this latest coronavirus is something that people need to completely panic about but at the same time i i do think it is a matter of concern And what has authorities perhaps a little more uncomfortable than normal is that the Chinese New Year, and interestingly, 2020, in the Chinese calendar, it's the year of the rat. I just I just leave that out there. It's the year of the rat, but it, it starts on Saturday. And, and a lot of people from China travel over their lunar new year. And so the concern is that you're going to have people who might have been exposed to this who are going to be traveling, perhaps traveling across the world. And, I, I mean, I understand right now you have, what, 17 deaths. And I'm not downplaying 17 deaths. Statistically, that's not a lot. But it was only discovered a couple weeks ago, and when you see these viruses, they tend to people they, they tend to increase exponentially as more people get um, in, infected by them. Let's talk to Bob and Mequan. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How uh, concerned do we need to be about this?
5: Well, um, not horribly concerned, but I can tell you, I'm on my way back from O'Hare putting my son and my nephew on planes where they'll be in Hong Kong and Japan. Right. And Hong Kong for Chinese New Year, which, <laughs> um, because of the migration uh, back and forth from the mainland for the holiday. Right. Um, it, it's the largest, you know, human migration at one time is the Chinese New Year. So, um, they, they did take precautions. They're, they passed, you know, they're traveling with masks. Uh, For the first time, because you have planes for eighteen hours at a time, back and forth. Right. Um, So, why? I I don't think it's something to be panicked about. I mean, there's a a billion people in China, uh, and seventeen have died. Is something to be cognizant of uh, because of the amount of people that you run against in these huge, uh, you know, densely populated cities.
1: Did your son have any hesitation about going, or no?
5: None. None. Um, No, it was something that they, they had planned uh there was a discussion about uh you know things like restaurants um tightly packed places and especially airports right because uh, they're flying a chinese airline um so there was no discussion about not going but there was discussion about being smart about going right uh which is probably always a good idea anyways
1: right and i think mean, thanks for calling and, and i think Look, would I tell people to change their travel plans? Not necessarily. No. no. Especially if you are an otherwise healthy person. And I, I don't mean to downplay this at all. And I'm not a doctor. and I don't play one on the radio. But... Uh, the, the stories I see about this, most people recover, even if you would get it, most people recover from this. You know, I mean, the, the symptoms are, are like the cold and it's not a flu, but I mean, similar to that. And, you know, and, and most people would recover. The, the treatment they recommend is, okay, you get plenty of rest and you drink lots of fluids and things like that. Now, there, there's obviously going to be people, if you've got a compromised immune system for the very old, for the very young, it presents just like a lot of these diseases do. It presents, Hey, I mean, if if you've got a compromised immune system, you don't want to catch pneumonia, period, you know, regardless of where it comes from. So I, I think you have to be smart about this. Here's a text, Jeff. I'm scheduled. How cool is this? To be on a reality show that is going to be filmed in Shanghai and Wuhan in March. My girlfriend is from Wuhan and now the show is on hold. Um, I'm afraid of being infected and quarantined if I leave the country. Oh, yeah. I'm also afraid of dying. I And, and see that, you know, that's I, I think that's kind of a, a valid point. If if I were scheduled to travel to Wuhan, I admit maybe I'd be thinking about this and what precautions am I going to take and, you know, do you need to go now? And I agree, I understand that at least statistically right now, the chances of contracting this and dying are, are very, very small. But like I say, whenever you have these outbreaks of viruses, what you have to do is you have to recognize that it, it does increase exponentially. And if you, need, you find somebody by that, I mean, you know, somebody who's, one person who who 's infected that gets on an airplane that is flying into the United States for example, and is coughing etc, cetera, etc, cetera, and sneezing well, the germs can be carried airborne that 's picked up by a lot of other people on the plane and then they get back and they land and they've you know scatter to wherever they 're from and they cough and they sneeze, and other people get infected and next thing you know you 're off to the races. Nothing to play around with. I do think that the precautions right now that people are taking and the authorities are taking are are clearly uh, appropriate. And I don't want to hear anybody complaining about, gee, there was some screening or there was some quarantining or whatever, because I I mean, what you've got to do is you've got to control this. And if somebody in particular has traveled or has been, it just, it's no different than measles or anything like that. If you turns out that somebody who's been infected is traveling, you know, back, you know, you, you want them, you know, maybe you're going to need them to be quarantined. And if that happens, it's going to be an inconvenience. But before you let people out into the general population to expose other people to this, you want them to be, make sure that they're they're going to be safe. So, I mean, I'm not panicking about this. Yesterday, that the stock market took a little bit of a hit because there was concerns that, okay, this might start this international panic. I, I don't think it's at that point now. I also think, and this is a credit to our government and to other governments. I think we've learned a lot from the SARS outbreak, which occurred in 2002 and 2003 and resulted in a a bunch of deaths. I mean, I think what did they estimate that, um, total about, um, 8,000 people were infected, um, during the SARS outbreak that began in China, and then that led to, um, about 770 deaths after it spread to other countries. I think we've learned a lot over the course of the last 20 years. We've been more aggressive in dealing with this. And, and to me, if, if you decide that you're going to travel to that area, I think you have to recognize that, you know, be prepared for additional scrutiny and additional screening. And if you're showing symptoms that you may be sick, you know, Prepare to be quarantined. I've got no sympathy for that. It's unfortunate, but just the reality, because the health of everybody else, you got to put over some temporary inconvenience. Would I necessarily change plans if I had to go? No. Having said that, though, I'm glad that I'm not scheduled to be in Wuhan, China, anytime soon. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. We're going to be talking some impeachment-related things in the 2 o'clock hour of the program and also the flip side of a question that I asked yesterday that got a huge response. And, matter of fact, like I said, I was, I was out last night to dinner, and, and a lot of people came up to me and said, we heard that segment, and we thought it was interesting, and we can't wait to hear the flip side of it. Well, we'll do that in the 2 o'clock hour of the program. All right. Let us imagine that you are a landlord, and you are deciding who to rent to in your apartment. You know, and you've got... You know, it, and so somebody comes in, and you want a security deposit and all those types of things, and you want to run a background check. right? Should you care whether the person who is applying to, I don't know, rent an apartment in your building, should you care whether that person just got out of prison? And should you care whether the person was ever in prison? Should you care what the person was in prison for? For example, if the person was in prison for armed robbery or sexual assault or murder, should you have to rent your apartment to him? I bring this up because Oakland, California has just passed what appears to be, I think, the most restrictive Rental measure in the country, they have an ordinance. They call it the Fair Chance Access to Housing Ordinance. And what it says is that as a general rule, and there's a couple exceptions, but they are narrow exceptions. If you are a landlord, you could not reject a potential tenant because of his or her prior conviction of a crime regardless of what that crime might be. Also, you could not require disclosure of criminal history in background checks. So you could not force a prospective tenant to tell you, you know, do you have a criminal history? Um, If the person refuses, you're, you're out of luck. But regardless of what the person's criminal history is, you would not be prohibited from renting You would not be prohibited from not renting to them, so that's what the law says. Now, the thinking of this, and this is the rationale behind it, is that gee, you know, people who have served their time, people who've been in prison, etc., you know, they've got a lot of tough. There's a lot of tough things trying to get back into society, and there's a lot of doors that are shut to them because you know maybe people don't want to hire them because they've got a felony conviction or something like that. So. This would make it presumably easier for somebody who's gotten out of prison to, you know, get an apartment because you couldn't look and say, hey, you just did four years for manslaughter. I'm not I I just don't want you in my apartment and I don't want you because I'm concerned about what the other tenants are going to think. You would not be able to decline to rent to the person because of their criminal conviction. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line. Now, already under federal law, there, there's certain restrictions as to, you know, your ability to deny people housing based on arrest record, which you, you're not supposed to consider. Conviction record, you can consider conviction records, but you've got to be consistent with it. But let's talk about this larger point. If you are a property owner... Is it relevant if somebody has a criminal record, and I'm talking about convictions, is it relevant as to what those convictions might be, and should you be able to deny somebody an apartment in your building because they have a criminal record. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the accurate mortgage talk and text line. My answer would be absolutely. And I think this ordinance is, is crazy. Now, I think landlords could get in trouble because you can apply this in a discriminatory fashion. But, but let's assume as a general practice, let's assume that you have somebody who has just been released from prison for serving three years for sexual assault. All right? Five years for sexual assault. Well, all right, you have other tenants in your building. I think you have every right to consider what is the effect. If I rent to this person and then people find out that the guy just got out of prison, in my example, for sexual assault, my guess is there might be some neighbors that aren't going to care, but there's going to be a lot of tenants who are going to say, I'm sorry, I I don't want to live in a building with somebody who just did five years for rape. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Oakland says, moving forward, you are not, as a general rule, going to be able to deny renting an apartment to someone because they have a criminal conviction, regardless of what the criminal conviction is. If you're sitting in apartment 203C, and you find out that the guy who's moving into apartment um two you know, 205C It's just gotten out of jail after doing 15 years for murder. All right. Might you be looking for another apartment? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff
0: Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: So, Jeff, this is a text. If my new neighbor spent time for aggravated robbery where they beat someone up and robbed them or for arson, does the landlord get to tell me? Because I would move. Okay, here's the way this ordinance in Oakland would work. No, not only would the landlord not be able to tell you, the landlord wouldn't know about it because the law prohibits landlords from running criminal history background checks. Presumably, you could run a background check still on employment or on income or things like that, but you could not legally require disclosure of a criminal history. So you as the landlord might not even be able to find out that your prospective tenant just got out of prison for aggravated robbery and or for arson. The people that push this, I'm looking at one of the statements, says, well, this ordinance is about making sure returning community members have equal opportunities they deserve to successfully reintegrate into our community. And this begins with a roof over your head. Okay that's that's great but from the perspective of the landlord, I mean, you own the building. Should you have a right? And, again, you got to be consistent with this because if you pick and choose, you know, um, who who you're going to allow in, you're just opening yourself up for, for potential lawsuits. In addition, there's different rules when it comes to federal housing as to what you can do. But in Oakland, they would say you have no business. It's not relevant knowing what somebody's criminal background is, to which I would say that's absolutely crazy. Let's talk to, let's see, let's start with Mike in West Bend. Mike, you're on WTMJ.
2: Hey there, Jeff. Hi, so my, my, my first thought here is, is, is this going to be the same scrutiny placed in the public sector as it is the private sector? Or are the private folks taking the lumps here? I mean, it's, yes. I'm all about re- rehabbing and second chances and serving your time. However, if I apply for a job after com- committing a felony, for a government position, are they going to put me under the same scrutiny that they expect a private employer to do? If I apply for public housing, are they going to also uh, apply these rules to themselves as they are going to to the private housing?
1: Uh, well, the, owner? the answer is the answer is no, because and. and because, it, for example, federal federal housing, the, the subsidized housing type of thing, those are covered by uh, by different sets of rules, and and those rules they don't allow you to not hire somebody because not not give an apartment to somebody because of an arrest, and then convictions. It's a whole different set of rules. But to answer your question, no, this is directed at private sector landlords. The federal government has a different set of rules that are not as strict. Of course, they do. <laughs> well, I mean,
2: I, I guess
6: I, I just
1: yeah. – yeah, thanks for the call. I mean, I, mean, I just go back to the, this, this basic sort of premise. And look, and I, I understand you want to give people a second chance, and I think, I think that's certainly in the interest of landlords to want to do it. At the same time, I, I think if you're the property owner, you have every right to know – about the criminal background of somebody who wants to rent a place, you know, a a unit in your building. I think you have a right and almost, I would argue, a responsibility to your other tenants. Now, look, I, I get just because somebody... I don't know, has a link. Let's 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 take an extreme example. But just because somebody has multiple convictions for armed robbery or burglary or whatever, and they've just gotten out of prison after a three year stretch following their fourth or fifth conviction, it doesn't mean automatically that they're going to go back and they're going to rob, you know, somebody else. It is, however, an indicator and it is a factor that I think landlords should be able to take into consideration. And if that makes it more difficult for the convicted criminal to get an apartment, well, okay, too bad, so sad. Maybe you should have thought of that before you committed your first felony or your second felony or or your third, you know, felony. Also, again, from the perspective of the landlord, I look at this and I say, hey, you know, if your other tenants, because I, it, it, it's great, you can say, all right, I, I, I think this is a noble law. I have this guy who just gotten out of prison for second-degree murder. He's done, done five years. Okay, I, I want to give him, I want to make it easy for him to transition back into society. That That's great. Well, okay, some of the other, let's say you live in a four-family, okay, the, the people in the other three units – they might not be quite as progressive as that and they might say, Wait a second, you know, this just guy just got out for, you know, some variation of, of murder. Well, I I I don't want to be living next to that person and okay, that's fine, Mr. Landlord, you move him in there, but now I'm moving out. And I just don't think that's fair to the landlords in this particular case. Mike on the Northwest Side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah,
2: good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. My thoughts are the the landlord Property, he should have every right to know who he wants to rent to, and be comfortable with him. Let's say you have a nephew that's a convicted felon, and he's uh, coming back into society, and you kind of think he's on the mend. So it's his choice if he wants to do it or not. And let everyone else know. But I think you know, even any anyone who's convicted, if you have FaceTime with them and you think they're okay, it's your choice. It's your prerogative. But uh, the government should not be in this.
1: Right. Well, thanks. I mean, and again, you you have to. I mean, look. I the, the whole area of landlord-tenant law. If, if you're a landlord, undoubtedly you've got a lawyer that, that's you know on call because this comes up all the time, and and it does. If if you're you have to be if you want to avoid getting sued for. I know uh, discrimination or things like that. You, you've gotta, you gotta be consistent. You have to have clear sets of policies. And I, I certainly encourage that because this is, like I say, I mean, there, there's lawyers that do nothing but landlord tenant law. And it, it's kind of a minefield that, uh, you know, people can walk into and you want to end up avoiding that. But having said all that, it does seem to me that saying to a landlord, by law, you are not able to take into consideration whether the person you're renting to has a criminal record and what that criminal record is, to me, is is absolutely just in, insane on so many different levels, period. But that is Oakland. Jeff, I have rentals in Racine. I've always reviewed CCAP. And if there's a potential tenant that has a criminal history, I, I don't rent to them Period. Jeff, the Oakland ordinance is ridiculous on the plus side. I, I guess the neighbors who fall victim to this can take comfort knowing that the politicians, you know, led them to feel so woke. I mean, this is clearly this is woke. There's there's no doubt about it. You know, we want to understand. We want to be sympathetic. To, and we want to give a fair chance to people who are getting out of prison. And, and that that's that's great but there is also that reality of recidivism, and should landlords be forced under law to take that step? And my answer would be no. Jeff, these laws end up driving out private landlords, creating tax foreclosures, creating vacant properties and blighted neighborhoods. You know, what is the end game out there? I think that's a fair question to ask that the texter asks. I mean, as I understand in the minds of some, landlords are these evil property owners. And so you have all these ordinances, which, again, are designed to make it difficult for the to make it easier for the tenants to get the places, to make it easier for the tenants to stay in the places, and that's all well and good. But what people also need to realize when we look, and there are, by the way, there are terrible property owners that are out there. I mean, you have, you have some of these, you know, horrible landlords who own, you know, all these different properties and they're in complete and total disrepair, and I have no sympathy for them. But at the same time, people also need to realize that People who own real estate and decide to rent out properties, that's, that is a business decision that they make. They could take that money and instead of investing it in, I don't know, a four family or an eight family, or a small apartment building, they could take that money and they could invest it in the stock market, or they could buy bonds, or they could put it in a CD or whatever. They are making an economic decision that it is in their best financial interest to to conduct a business. And the concern becomes if government ends up putting up too many restrictions, including I think... Silly restrictions, which make it very, very difficult for them to rent their other units. And this is what I would lump that into. What ends up happening is the, the landlord ultimately decides, OK, I, I just the hassle is too great. The return on investment is too great. I'm not going to make enough money. And so, you know what? I'm I'm going to get out of this business. And what's going to happen is you're not going to have the rental apartments. Maybe they sell the land and you turn it into a CVS pharmacy or whatever. You get out of that business, you invest it in something else, and then people don't have anywhere to stay. Just saying. This is Jeff
0: Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. (laughs)
1: So, very glad to have you with us. All right. We, we made reference to this yesterday, but more facts are emerging. Sunday afternoon, you have two people who go into the Dick's Sporting Goods store in Grafton, if you're not familiar with the area, right off of what is it, Highway 60? There's right out next to the freeway. There, there's a large shopping complex or a series of shopping complexes. There's a Costco there. There's a Dick's. There's a Wal. Yeah, there's there's a Walmart that's up there. There's like a Home Depot or something there. So a lot. It's a big. It's turned into a giant retail area, and there's a Dick's Sporting Goods. What happens is, according to authorities, these two people. Thirty-seven-year-old Daryl Brown and thirty-six-year-old Latosha Walton go into the Dick's Sporting Goods. They go to check out at the store. They apparently have like north of seventeen hundred dollars worth of merchandise. Hmm. I guess you can spend seventeen hundred dollars worth of, at, at Dick's, but you got to work at it a little bit. So anyhow, they, they 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 go to check out, and then they decide to just. Rush to 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 sort of bum rush the door, and they run out. So they leave the store without paying. So they are shoplifting. They've stolen, you know, almost two grand worth of stuff. Daryl Brown, the guy, says that when he saw Walton, that's the gal, run out of the store without paying, he followed because he was scared. Okay. So anyhow, so the two of them run to the car with all this merchandise. They get they get in their car and they take off. And they start heading south on I forty three on the freeway. All right, so uh, authorities um, in Grafton call ahead, and, and there's apparently an authority in Grafton that's starting to follow them. There's a cop in Grafton starting to follow them, but they're, they're seeing they're heading for Milwaukee County pretty quickly, and so they call ahead and they say, okay, like here's here's the deal. We're we're following these people. And they call down to like Bayside and they say, can you help us out? Because we've got these people that are fleeing. You know, can you can you try to can you try to pull them over for us? All right. So the Bayside officer apparently sees the car, tries to pull it over. And as he tries to pull it over, the car speeds off speeds in excess of 100 miles an hour. So the cop in Bayside tries to pull him over. The, the person driving, it's this woman, takes off. So then they radio ahead. So the Bayside police officer is following, but not following too closely because the car is going so fast. Down in Glendale, they get the word that this is happening. So what they do is they put out those stop sticks, the things that like puncture tires. They put them out on the freeway. Um, what happens, though, is before... This car, going at like 100 miles an hour, reaches the stop sticks. It crashes into another car that is on the interstate. And this all happens about, like I say, 2.30 in the afternoon. The Bayside officer still chasing, but he's at a distance. Um, he didn't see the crash. He's that far behind. After the crash, the 37-year-old guy gets out of the car, puts his car hands up, the driver the woman continues on at a slower pace because she smashed her car she finally stops when a glendale police officer does this intervention maneuver where you, you know hit the back of the car you know causing your, your car to go sideways all right so what happened is the car that the fleeing shoplifters hit was driven by two women ages 24 and 31 the impact cuz they presumably get hit by from behind by this fleeing car caused the vehicle to to flip over all right that's that's the litany of what happened here so now they have the bad guys in custody the two people that were in the car that got hit by the bad guys they are thankfully not seriously injured our number 8556161620 which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line You know what the conversation about this is? Should they have chased in the first place? Now, keep in mind the crime that the two of them are believed to have committed or did, in fact, I think commit up in Grafton was they shoplifted. They didn't kill anybody, didn't sexually assault anybody. They didn't rob a bank. They were shoplifters. Now, they stole a lot of money, a lot of stuff. But they stole, you know, it was shoplifting. And then when they tried to be pulled over, they took off. They started running. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We had a high-speed chase down the freeway at 2.30 in the afternoon on Sunday. It resulted in the bad guys I don't know if it's fair to say losing control of the car, but driving in such a reckless fashion that they put lives in danger. And I don't, you know, I, I mean, if they put their own lives in danger, but that was the choice they made. But they put the lives of other people in danger, too. For example, you have this 24- and 30-year-old woman who got hit by the, their car, ended up rolling over, and it is but for the grace of God that they're, you know, a- alive. And it was all because the criminals made the decision to flee at a high rate of speed, but the crime they were committing was shoplifting. Should the authorities have chased or in this particular case, since it was just shoplifting, should they have let them go hoping that we're going to catch them another day? Our number 8556161620, that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line. I say chase, but I think this is an interesting conversation. Should they have let them go under the circumstances? Instead of putting other people's lives at risk to catch two people who shoplifted at a Dick's Sporting Goods. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. 855 616 1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. If you're on the line, please hold on.
0: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: So glad to have you with us. All right. Should the authorities have chased the crime the people committed was shoplifting. And as a result of this, look, and I'm, and I'm not excusing the bad guys here. I, I, I'm not. They're the ones that shoplifted. They're the ones that ran away. Um, they, in fleeing from the police, they, they hit another car. They caused it to turn over. Thankfully, the two women in that car were not injured But at the same time, was it worth it to chase because they were shoplifters? My answer would be yes. What do you think? Let's start with Carolyn in New Berlin. You're on WTMJ. Hello.
4: Hello. By all means, they should have chased them. That was a huge amount, and everybody would say, well, they got away with it. We're going to get away with it, too.
1: Does the fact that... Does the fact that it wasn't armed robbery, it wasn't sexual assault, it wasn't murder, it, w- it was shoplifting, and I'm not downplaying shoplifting, but by virtue of what they did, they put other people's lives at risk. Was it was it worth it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's just just yeah, it is. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for Well, that that there's there's no question about it. That's the you know that's that's the scenario. That, now in this particular case, I believe the authorities did know what they were accused of doing when they ended up running so i mean i they did know that all right eight five five 1620. that's the Accident mortgage talk and text line tony in watertown tony you're on wtmj hey how you doing today real well thank you should they have chased
5: yeah they need they need to chase because as i was saying to your producer I watched some YPD, and they had a situation in Missouri where a town, a county, doesn't chase motorcycles because of the accident problem. Right. So these guys do something. They take off knowing the police are going to turn their lights off. So what to stop them from robbing, beating, stealing, and then taking off knowing that they can't be stopped? Right. I suggest spend money on a helicopter up there. Some of these towns on that show have that, and they're able to follow them, and the police can back off and just wait. Right. to find out where they're
1: at well in this particular case it's interesting because I, even though there was a chase I, I don't get the idea that the Bayside officer was right on their tail. As a matter of fact, he had kind of dropped back. They had called ahead and they put down the stop sticks, and uh, the woman driving the vehicle lost control before they even hit the stop stick. So, in this particular case, it, it, to the extent it was endangered, it, people were endangered by virtue of the fact that the, these bad guys tried to run. And, and by the way, I know this is something some people are alluding to. Authorities, I don't think, I'm sure they didn't know it at the time. But this is not the first rodeo for either one of these people. If you, for example, go to Wisconsin Circuit Court Access and put in the name of the woman, what you get is... Well, you get a, a lengthy series of contacts with the criminal justice system, Um and, and so, I mean, I haven't pulled up her entire criminal record, but, again, not the first time at the rodeo. Now, again, the authorities didn't know that. All the authorities know is we've got these people that have taken off, but, you know, regardless of this, I, I think – I think you have to err on the side of chasing. I don't think you can let people simply drive away because they feel like it. And now the corresponding thing is, you know, now that they have been caught – they need to be prosecuted to the full extent of the law and in this case the driver of the vehicle if in fact she is convicted you know she needs to go to prison for a long period of time and i don't want to hear these sob stories about it you know if you drive away at 100 miles an hour it is only but for the grace of god that the car that they hit that the women in that car were not in fact killed so now it becomes incumbent on the district attorney and on the Milwaukee County court system to say, okay, we're going to stop this. We're not going to tolerate this type of behavior. And and yeah, you drive away at 100 miles an hour and you hit and kill somebody. Yeah, you're not going to pass go. You're going to go to prison for a while. Let's talk to, um, let's see, Bob in Waukesha. Bob, you're on WTMJ.
5: Yeah, yeah, Jeff, I guess we can agree to disagree. I, I, I My perception is, that this is a crime against property, yep. that they should not have been chasing at 100 miles an hour. And everybody, everybody wants the police to chase until your wife gets whacked. And yep. then, oh, my God, why were the police chasing? It's a crime against property.
1: There is, it is, there is, if they decided that they, let's say you didn't know what the crime was. Let's say if just for the sake of argument, you see a car driving down the expressway, and the police officer notices, and the car is speeding, it's going 70 in a 50-mile-an-hour zone, and the police officer puts on the bubble lights to pull them over, and the person takes off, and next thing you know, they're going 100. You don't even know why it is they ran. Under that case, situation, do you think they should chase? No, sir. Never. Nope. So, So you think that they should only, you would go back to a variation of like what they used to do in Milwaukee, where you only chased if you... Knew that it was a serious felony or something like that.
2: Has to be a, a crime against person. Has to
5: be a violent felony. And I can assure you that the International Association of Police, which I never hear anyone on this station allude to, has a template and has suggestions on how uh, a chief of police should implement a pursuit policy.
1: Well, and I appreciate that, Bob. I, I will say this: that was Ed Flynn and Tom Barrett's policy in the city of Milwaukee for years. We do not chase. And in my opinion, it was a complete and total disaster because what happened is the bad guys learned that they're not going to chase us. So the bad guys just drove off. The bad guys headed off. We can run through red lights at 95 miles an hour. We can be a roving, roaming. You had the, the moving drug cars and stuff, and we're just going to drive off, and we would not allow be allowed to chase Since that has changed, I believe that that is one of the reasons, not only, but one of the reasons why you have the crime rate in Milwaukee, for example, declining slightly because they're catching more and more of these people instead of letting them drive off. So we'll agree to disagree on this one. But but yeah, I, I I think. And see, the more common case isn't shoplifting. The more common case is exactly the scenario I set up. You don't know why they've run. You, you don't know if it's because they've just robbed a bank or they've got a body in the trunk or, or whatever. You don't know why it is they've run. But the fact that you're running from the police, to me, is a prima facie example of why you need to chase them and why you need to catch them. Now, I understand that there is going to be a time when the chase might be so dangerous to the officers or to other people that you just you just can't continue it and, and you've got to let people go. And that's kind of a case-by-case sort of example. I don't know what the freeway looked like on Sunday at 2.30 in the afternoon. But regardless of whether it was shoplifting or not, you you do know that the person's now willing to drive over 100 miles an hour to get away from you. And, yeah, I think you have to do everything you can to catch them. And I guess I'm not going to lose sight of the fact that the reason – Those women, for example, were injured because the car caused the rollover was because these two criminal losers in the car in the first place decided, number one, that they were going to try to rip off the store, and number two, that they were going to try to flee. Let's talk to Gil and Racine. Gil, you're on WTMJ.
6: Hi. um, Your previous caller is going to make my point for me. My, My premise is that we do need to chase and this is what happens when the police officers try to stop somebody. They don't know if they're going to stop or if they're going to flee. If somebody flees from the police officers and they decide not to chase, they pull over and they turn their lights off. And you know what the car does that they that they were going to pull over continues to do? They continue to drive like a bat out of hell, right. going 80, 90, 100 miles per hour and making aggressive turns and movements. So even though the cops pull over and don't chase them, they continue at, on and driving very recklessly and you know more times than not the police will get a call 30 seconds later yep. hey that car you're just chasing it just ran into somebody and just hit somebody right well or it went off the road and well, into a house
1: well let let's okay let, let's change the facts a little to make that point let's say that the reason somebody is dri- is swerving between lanes and they're driving at a high rate of speed is because they're just they're drunk all right so you know you might say okay they're driving at 100 miles an hour I don't know why they're driving 100 miles an hour but I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna let them go I'm not gonna try to pull them over and you can easily craft a scenario where four miles down the road because the person is drunk and you've let them drive off that person slams into another car and that person's dead and then you have to answer the woulda coulda shoulda's what do you mean you, why didn't you try to get them off the road you let them drive 100 miles an hour drunk down the freeway and now somebody else is dead you, you can you can play that monday morning quarterbacking all the time we don't exactly know what's going to happen so i think you got to use your best judgment
6: yeah correct our police officers they're damned if you do and damned if you don't the bottom line is you need to chase them and once you try to pull somebody over if they try to run from you even though you might pull over and discontinue the chase you have to understand that these cars more times than not continue to speed and drive recklessly
1: well no and thanks and, see, and i think My sense is that's kind of what happened on this because the Bayside officer was following But it wasn't like the Bayside officer was on the tail of this car. Matter of fact, when the collision occurred, the Bayside officer wasn't even in a position to see it. And it was before they got to Silver Spring. So they called ahead and they put down the stop sticks. So I I think the guy was following. This car was intent on getting away and the person was driving a 100 miles an hour. So in this particular scenario, even though I I know I I laid out this fact thing so we could discuss it, I'm not even sure it was the police "Quote unquote chase that 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 precipitated this. The people knew they had were stolen. They knew the cops were looking for them, and they they were trying to get away as quickly as they can. Bottom line is, it, look, it, it's unfortunate, but let's let's go back and realize." Why were these two innocent women in the car, why were they hurt or why was their car hit? Well, it was because the bad guys were driving away. So maybe, maybe, just maybe, if we say we're tired of this, and if you decide that you're going to drive away from cops at a high rate of speed, they're going to follow you. They're going to do everything they reasonably can to catch you. And then when they catch you, you are going to prison for a lengthy period of time because we're tired of people ignoring police officers we're tired of people ignoring the law we're tired of people committing crimes and then thinking they can flee and get away with it just once maybe don't we want to say enough is enough because like i say this was what we did in milwaukee for five years it was a complete and total in my opinion disaster And and yes, it's true that by chasing, there will be occasions where innocent people get caught up in it. But, you know, with all the criminals that are out there driving recklessly anyways, innocent people get hit and hurt all the time. I want to get those bad guys off the streets. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is The Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Back in the day
1: when I was chasing drug peddlers, I, I always I always used to say, you know, just once I would like to have one of these people come up and accept responsibility after they had been convicted. Instead of instead of whining about how tough all oh, this is just awful, I would have loved to have had somebody just come in and say, judge, you know, here's the deal. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I was a big cocaine dealer and I made a ton of money. And I spent it. I lived like a king for the last two years. I flew all over the world. I had the. I had more stuff than you could want. I had everything. I mean, I. You know, I lived like the guy in Scarface did. You know, I, and I just had a great time. And, and yes, I. I know I was doing wrong. I know that I was going to have to pay for it someday, so now I, I am ready. Okay, I, I would have just loved to have had somebody do it, but you never got that. You got the, well, it wasn't my fault and it was somebody else to blame and all that type of stuff. And I always thought if I ever had anybody, and I never did, in all the years I, I chased drug dealers, who came in and really, truly accepted responsibility and, and told the truth about what they did, I'd almost sit there and say, Judge, I'm so impressed by this person's honesty, I'm going to recommend a couple years less. But I never had to deal with that because I never had that situation. Because people just, you know, don't don't want to, you know, accept responsibility, and they don't want to admit that they they screwed up and made mistakes. And you, you see this story that it is playing out now with the Milwaukee County Executive's race. And I know I've talked about this a couple of days in a row, but it's because every day there, there's a, a different development that is out there let's review the bidding really quickly to get on the ballot to be county executive and chris Abley is stepping down there's six people that wanted to be county executive you need to circulate nominating petitions you need to get people in, in this case milwaukee county who sign sign the name their name saying yes we think that you should be on the ballot okay it's not hard to do that it is the easiest thing in the world You need 2000 valid signatures now a candidate and three or four volunteers over the space of two weekends in Milwaukee County should be able to get probably close to 4000 signatures if you are diligent and you work at it. that's just kind of the way it works. I say 4,000 because you said, Jeff, normally you only need 2,000. Yeah, you need 2,000, but any competent candidate will turn in way more signatures than they need. I mean, probably closer to 4,000 because there's always going to be problems with some of the signatures. Something, you know, might might happen there there's technical errors or whatever and you want to make sure you you have enough signatures so what happens here is you have two of the people running for milwaukee county executive former state senator jim sullivan and glendale mayor brian kennedy all right they don't get a huge chunk of their own signatures they hire this out to a third they hire some community organizer which is, I think, really their way of trying to curry favor with these community organizers by throwing them a bunch of money. So the community organizer goes out and hires people to circulate the nominating petitions for Sullivan and Kennedy. So they lose control of it. Well, the law says, and the law is very clear, that you're only allowed to circulate nominating positions for one candidate for a particular office. So, if you're circulating them for one county executive candidate, you can't circulate them for others. The law is also very clear, very, very clear. It's crystal clear that if you have somebody that circulates petitions for multiple candidates, the first signatures they get are valid, and all the other signatures they get are not valid. So, what you have here is Sullivan and Kennedy. And I, you know, I, I take no position on their candidacy other than the way they did this was, in my opinion, lazy and sloppy. They, they outsource this. They hire a community organizer. There's no controls on it. And what happens is the people the community organizer hires, they go out and they circulate petitions for multiple, multiple candidates. Law is very clear. First ones they get are valid. The second and third ones they get are not valid. Okay, that's just the reality. So they turn in a bunch of signatures. They don't turn in close to 4,000. And the way it works is these invalid signatures, the ones that were obtained by the circulator who had already obtained ones for another candidate, by the time you take those signatures out, both Sullivan and Kennedy are way below the two thousand signature level that you need. And it's just, it's unfortunate they did it. I understand they say, well, this is this common thing to outsource it. We didn't know that the people we trusted to get the signatures were going to be screw ups. All right. But, but you're the candidate. You're responsible for that. Well, okay. The state elections commission, state elections board viewing this says the law is really clear here <laughs> that this is what it says is supposed to happen. And so, yeah, we're, we're bouncing you because you don't have enough valid signatures. Period. Instead of Sullivan and Kennedy just stepping up and saying, you know, we screwed up here, and, and, you know, it's unfortunate, we really want to run, this is an unfortunate result, maybe this law is unduly harsh because we didn't have any evil intent, and how did we know that the people that we outsourced this to were going to be screw-ups, instead of, of this, instead of this, they have now announced today that they are appealing the order to circuit court. And that, that's their right to do it. So they're going to circuit court. My, my favorite thing is, is former state senator Jim Sullivan. He says, out of respect for the voters, I think it's imperative for me to appeal the decision and give thousands of Milwaukee County voters an opportunity to be heard. In, in other words, I may screw up. Alright, but it's, it's not for me. It's not for my personal ego. It's not because I want the job. I, I have to, even though I screwed up, I have to appeal because it's for the voters. Well, Jim, here's my bottom line. I'm willing to bet that what do you have? You had like 1,450 valid signatures that were left. I'm willing to bet that those 1,450 people, valid people who signed your nominating petition, I'm willing to bet that they're not going to lose too much sleep if you're not on the ballot. That's just this, oh, I have to appeal this because I have to do it for the voters. I mean, this is, again, I understand it's a completely different context than the, the drug dealers and stuff. But just once, I'd like to have these politicians come in and say, you know what? The law is really clear. We screwed up. We shouldn't have, we shouldn't have trusted these community organizers. We shouldn't have outsourced this. We should have done the work ourself. We realize that we are in violation of the law and we're willing to accept the consequences for that. And unfortunately, the consequences mean that we can't be on the ballot for county executive. Wouldn't that be a profile in courage? But instead, we get this, no, we're going to appeal it to circuit court. And we, we, it's not for us. It's not because we want the gig. It's not for our ego. It's because we need this to do this for the voters. Give me a break. I mean, seriously, one of the things that every candidate should know is what the rules are and how you do this correctly. And if they hadn't have outsourced it, if they hadn't have been sloppy, if they hadn't have been lazy, if they had just done What candidates certainly used to do, which is go out and get their own signatures, this would have in all likelihood not happened. If instead of turning in not that many more than the bare minimum, if they had gotten close to 4,000 signatures, this would not have happened. They were lazy. They were sloppy. They deserve to be off the ballot. And again, I don't have a horse in the race for Milwaukee County executive, but I do think that the law means something. And I think the law should be followed. And this idea that, well, it's not us. Now we have to appeal to a circuit court judge. I I don't know what a Milwaukee County circuit court judge is going to do with this. It will be. And there's a the ballots have to be printed by Monday. So there is there is a time constraint on this. But I think it would be a huge miscarriage of justice were some circuit court judge to come in and issue an injunction directing these guys be on the ballot after they have failed to follow the law and get enough qualifying signatures. Doesn't the law mean something? And, you know... What, what does it say when your campaign is off to a start where you screw up so badly, you want to take an oath to you know represent the best interests of the people, but now you're also saying, I don't think the law should apply to me. Now, might be a harsh result, and I'm not saying that either one of these guys might not be the best of the various candidates running, but they screwed up. They should stop with the appeals and they have the right to go to circuit court. But just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do and recognize that they messed up badly. And let this be a lesson to all the other candidates that are out there that if you're going to get in races, maybe you should read the statutes and maybe you should think about how your campaign is going to get you on the ballot before you hire community organizers to get huge chunks of your signatures.
0: Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: It's not my side of the aisle, but Hillary Clinton really needs to shut up. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I, 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 for those of you who have been following the story, I mean, Hillary Clinton... I, I understand. She thought she was going to be the leader of the free world. The poll said she was going to be the leader of the free world. And she lost in the Electoral College. Don't tell me she got more votes in the popular vote. She did. But that, that's not how we select the president. She She, she lost. She lost for a number of reasons, but I personally believe it is because the American public just wasn't that into her. It's because she had been on the American political stage for years and years, and she was not a candidate that I think large chunks of Democrats were excited about. Now, I'm not saying people didn't go out and vote for her, but I think a lot of people viewed her as the lesser of two evils. Maybe some people regret staying home, but she was was a candidate that, candidly, I think, a lot of people just did did not did not like did not trust etc all right so she's been fuming over the fact that she lost and i understand losing is losing is tough and i'm sure you know when you think that you're going to get it and you have it snatched away from you on election night i'm sure you're very very disappointed about that and she's been trying to figure out you know what her third or fourth or fifth act in america is but she's maintained a relatively low profile over the last couple years well hulu the streaming TV network is coming out with this four part documentary that I am told is this very, very glowing piece about her and she's out promoting it. So she sits down and she does this interview with um, she does this interview with Variety, The Hollywood Reporter. I'm sorry. And it, it's ahead of the documentary that's going to premiere. It's going to be on Hulu, but I guess it's airing at the Sundance Music uh, Movie Festival on on Saturday. So she they ask her about Bernie Sanders she beat bernie okay now now i'm not sure she beat bernie sanders fair and square but but she beat bernie that that's just the the reality of this she won bernie sanders i think has every right to be bitter because i think bernie sanders figures if the the democratic party organization structure hadn't kind of rig the game with all these, you know, the, the super delegates and stuff that were all pledged to Clinton that if it had really been a free and fair fight, he might have gotten the nomination. And interestingly, he might have been a guy that beat Trump. But, but Hillary Clinton beat Bernie Sanders. But it's very, very apparent that she hasn't gotten over the fact that Bernie Sanders All right. Challenged her. And keep in mind, Bernie Sanders campaigned for her at the end as well. So she does this interview and they ask her about Bernie Sanders. And she says, nobody likes him. Nobody wants to work with him. He gets nothing done. He's a career politician. Now, that statement, I I mean, you know, you you could say the same thing about Hillary Clinton. Nobody likes her. Nobody wants to work with her. He got nothing done. She got nothing done. She was a career politician. All right. That's it. Irony is not lost on Mrs. Clinton. Then she says, it's all just baloney, and I feel so bad that people got sucked into it. Um, Then the reporter says, okay, does that assessment still hold? She says, yes, it does. Now, then she went on to say, well, I'm I'm not going to commit if he's the nominee as to whether or not I'm going to campaign for him. Now, she subsequently in the last like 24 hours has backed off that a little bit, not for criticisms of Bernie Sanders, but she is saying, well, you know, I I will probably, you know, campaign for, you know, whoever the the nominee is. But here you have the former nominee of the Democrat Party deciding that they're going to launch in and they're going to do it in this fashion with regard to one of the the leading candidates for the nomination this time. And it is interesting to see the results that this is getting. It's not uh, among Democrats. Democrat women, Democrat men, liberals, moderates, nobody is out there saying, Hillary, we're really glad that you came out. We really decided that we're glad that you decided to, um you know, trash Bernie Sanders. You know, interestingly, the comments are sort of like this editorial that appears in the New York Times. The headline, Mrs. Clinton, you already beat Bernie Sanders. Trump is the opponent now. Uh, Here's the way it starts. Democrats may not agree on much these days, but on the matter of their greatest wish, there is a resounding consensus. They want to beat Donald Trump this November. Full stop. So it's of no help to the cause when Hillary Clinton, the party's 2016 nominee, disparages other Democrats and shatters party unity based on her own festering resentment. Yeah, that's exactly what it is, her festering resentment, and she just flat out can't get over it. Again, the most interesting aspect of what she says is all these qualities that she attributes to Bernie Sanders on the negative side are all qualities that I think a lot of people would say exactly about her, but she doesn't see that at all. Look, this isn't my side of the aisle. I think Bernie Sanders would be a disaster were he to be elected president. I think if he is the Democrat nominee, there's a very, very strong chance that Donald Trump wins reelection. I think Trump wants to run against somebody like Bernie because then the issue doesn't become Donald Trump. It becomes, does this country really want to move into the direction that a socialist wants to take us? And I don't think we're there yet. So, I mean, plus, I think he'd be a disaster. I don't want to see him be the nominee period but the idea that it's going to be hillary clinton who has out there because of her own ego or whatever her own festering resentment the fact that she can't stand that somebody challenged her that that she's deciding to throw stones at this point in time to me it says a lot more about hillary clinton than it does about bernie sanders huh back with more in just a minute
0: jeff wagner on wtmj We're back,
1: Drew, producing the show today and always. Do you know who and or what Monty Python was?
6: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Holy Grail. um, Yeah. uh, Life of David.
1: Life of Brian. Life of Brian. Right. Right. And before there were movies, Monty Python, it was a British comedy group that goes back to to the 70s. And they did. Well, it was it was kind of cutting edge comedy at At the time, it was um, sort of this kind of not slapstick, not Three Stooges stuff, but it was sort of the zany kind of like surreal type type of type of entertainment. I I have to I have to acknowledge that I wasn't a huge fan of Monty Python. One of my close friends named Jeff Rapkin growing up, he loved Monty Python and he would do. Monty Python lines all the time. And I always, I mean, I knew they were Monty Python lines, but I just, I, be, you know, he loved it. So a lot of times, you know, we'd be over at his place and Monty Python, it, the, the show would come on and, and, and we'd watch it. And I just, it, the humor was always lost on me a little bit, but, but I get it. People just absolutely loved it. And I think the kind of comedy that you saw with the Monty Python troupe, what it did is it, it opened the doors. I'm not sure. Um, I, I'm not sure that there, there would have been a Simpsons or a South Park or, or something like that, were it not for for Monty Python, and and many people, even if you're not familiar with the the, the shows that they did, Monty Python, you, you would have and perhaps the movies, like I say, and there's the musical Spam a lot, which is based on you know the, the Monty Python, the Holy Grail movie that they did, and and you know anyway. Cutting edge sort of comedy. It's one of these things that you either get or you don't get. I'm not sure I necessarily ever got it. But I but I appreciate I, I appreciate how talented and these guys were. I bring this up because one of the original members of Monty Python, the, the group, was a guy named Terry Jones, who was one of the writers and one of the actors. He he passed away yesterday in London at 77. He's now the second original member of the group who passed away. The um, first one was a guy named Graham Chapman who died in 1989. Um, and, you know, there, there's still a number of the founding members. John Cleese, probably, probably the the one who's gone on to the greatest success beyond Monty Python. Uh, but, but you know, they're, they're, they're still all around. But anyhow, Terry Jones passed away. And if you... If you watch TV today, or if you you know do what I do, which is like look at a number of newspapers and stuff, there there are tributes to the guy and his comedy um, in in most of the major papers because Monty Python was influential in its time. Lots of people absolutely loved it, and you know here here you have a a comedy great that was passing away has passed away. It you know on this show because I love. And M, I like to think, a student of pop culture. You know, a lot of times, you know, we, we'll, we'll talk about music and we'll talk about movies and we'll talk about books and things like that. But I, I was thinking back on all those Monty Python shows and stuff that I used to watch and how particularly my friend Jeff, how he just he just loved them. I mean, he found this stuff to be laugh out loud funny. I didn't necessarily think that. But but that's the great thing about comedy, you know, to each their own. So in, and I guess, in recognition and in honor of the passing of clearly a comedy great, a founding member of Monty Python, I thought we would take one segment of the show, and I, I call the show, It Makes Me Laugh. And, and here's, here is my question to you. Think back on all the different comedians that, that you've heard over the years, Who's the funniest? You know wh- who is that, that performer, that comedian that just made you laugh out loud or it could be current day. It could be uh, this is the guy that you know he, he's still out there performing or she's still out there performing, Don't mean to be sexist. The, the person, maybe it, it could be a comedy team, but but the people that made they just makes you laugh. The funniest comedian, that you can remember. I mean, back in the day, I can remember buying comedy records, and maybe we'll get into some of the the different performers, and I can remember getting the album, the records, back in the day when there would be like the actual album, and going home and putting it on the the record player, the stereo, or whatever, and you just sit and listen to this, and just I can remember some of these performers that just made me laugh out loud. I can think of some of the performers I saw in comedy clubs that just made me laugh out loud. So our number, 855-616-1620, that is the acunate... Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Comedy great passed away yesterday. All right, let's have literally a little bit of fun. Your favorite comedian ever, the one that just always made you laugh. 855-616-1620. That is the Accent Mortgage Talk and Text Line. grew is lining up the calls. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on.
0: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs>
1: It's going to be a fun segment. We'll get to the calls in just a second. Let me just, uh, we're being swamped with texts here, which is good. Uh, John in Burlington says Rodney Dangerfield was the best. Rodney Dangerfield. You watch some of the routines that he would do, like on The Tonight Show and stuff. And I'm not talking about his, his, his movies. You know, he's, he's funny in Caddyshack and stuff. But you'd watch some of the routines that Rodney Dangerfield would do. It was just scream out loud funny. Jonathan Winters. Jonathan Winters always made me laugh as as well. Used to love it. Um Red Skelton. Yeah, well, Red Skelton did that as well. Let's see. Robin Williams gets my vote. Number of people saying Robin Williams. I remember um you know he was big when he he did the mork and mindy tv show but i he had some of these hbo comedy specials and i remember one in particular I, I just i watched it over and over again and it was just the manic energy and the the free-form thinking and oh robin williams was tremendous okay let's start with tom in watertown tom you're first hello Hey jeff i'm gonna say benny hill oh the old british comedian sure
5: him and that old guy they they just cracked me up i mean it was stupid funny but he was he was the, he was the real ladies man that's for sure
1: well it, I think for people i mean benny hill british comedian he had a, a british tv show that they aired kind of like monty python which was a british show they aired it here in the u.s he passed away in 1992 but it was kind of like burlesque and slapstick and there was a lot of like double entendre that went along um but it was you, Benny Hill was another one of these people that you either loved him or you didn't get it. But for people who loved him, it was just super. Let's talk to Sandy. Uh, Sandy, you're on WTMJ.
4: Hello, Jeff. Hi, Sandy. Um, I, this is a good topic for me because lately in the last uh, couple of weeks, I've been watching reruns of Everybody Loves Raymond. Right. And Ray Romano, that guy, I belly laughed by myself. <laughs> Just about every night, I watch like two episodes if i 'm in a bad mood, that guy just puts me in a great mood he He is so funny with his dumb expressions and off the cuff yeah. remarks its uh, he 's hilarious well you know and
1: he 's also a pretty decent actor you know i mean he he's been to, he was in he 's been in a number of of movies lately he 's in the um the, the, the Get Shorty TV show that's there. You know, it's funny you should mention that, Sandy, because I'm going to be in Las Vegas at the end of February just for a couple of days. And I was looking if there were shows I wanted to see. And he's doing his comedy show in Vegas. And I was actually I was thinking of maybe going because I've never seen him in person.
4: Oh that would be awesome. That's good to know. I didn't know that. It, you know, it I wasn't even thinking about stand-up comedy. Right. I was just thinking about in a Yeah. in a TV series and I, it takes a lot for me to laugh. Like Benny Hill, I don't get that guy. Right. But um, it takes a lot for me to laugh. But but Ray Romano, that guy, he he's, oh, yeah. he's hilarious.
1: Well, there you go. Thanks for the call. I've I'm, I'm, I'm actually, it's funny. I'm thinking, okay, I don't know how much the tickets are, but I'm thinking, you yeah, know, maybe that'll be fun. Andy in Wauwatosa. Andy, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
2: Hey, hey, Jeff. Uh, for me, it's George Carlin. Right. right. Uh, there are several others, but. Uh, Uh, George Carlin. We we, there was a group of us that got together. We all had the albums and played through them, and we'd throw
0: lines back and forth (laughs) to each other, and it was just we had a we had a good laugh. You you
1: mean do you remember? You see, you you're with me. You remember those days where you'd go out and you'd actually buy the comedy album, and then you'd sit down either by yourself or with some of your friends, and you'd listen to this for like an hour and a half or two hours or whatever, and you just laugh out loud. Right, and, and yeah, him, Cheech and Chong was another... Uh, I was going to say that if nobody else did. You know, I mean, I mean, it's kind of the stoner humor. <laughs> I watch some of those movies now, and I think, eh, I'm not sure what it was exactly so funny about, but some of those things, some of those bits that they did, laugh out loud funny, and, and I think they're probably laugh out loud funny today, not just when I was 17 years old. Hey, thanks, to George Carlin's great. By the way, my claim to fame, I was not at the Ice Bowl. I was at Summerfest. The night that George Carlin got arrested for saying the seven words you can't say on TV or in Milwaukee. Um, And interestingly, nobody in the audience that night knew he'd been arrested until you read about it the next day. Let's talk to, um, okay, let's talk to uh, Jeff in Mequon. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey,
2: Jeff, love your show.
3: Thank you. Uh,
2: Got it. Jonathan Winters, uh, I miss him uh, every time I watch uh, Mad Man when he ripped that gas station apart
3: right, I just
1: fall a pieces. Right. You know, I mean, he was, you know, he was, thanks to calling. he was, Jonathan Winters was kind of the, the inspiration for Robin Williams. There, there's not a Robin Williams unless there's a Jonathan Winters, the guy that's just kind of that, that free form kind of crazy comedy that you have there. And he was a huge star, you know, again, back back in the day. Kevin in Hartland, Kevin, you're on WTMJ.
5: you still my thunder with um, Raven Williams, so I'll go with Richard Pryor.
1: Oh, Richard... I, you know, Richard Pryor, who certainly had his demons, I can remember... Yeah, you know, gosh, there was there was a movie, there was a comedy movie, not you know, it was it was one of his stand-up things and it was after he had gotten high on cocaine and set himself on fire. So it was like his return performance, it was like Richard Pryor at the Sunset Strip or something and I remember going to see it in the movie theater and it was just it was laugh out loud funny because he was a guy that just he said things that nobody else could say and get away with, but it was pretty darn funny. Yeah no thank you. I, no thanks for coming no I can't can't complain about that as all at all Dan Dan you're on WTMJ good afternoon
4: hey good afternoon how you doing
1: I'm well thank you okay he makes you laugh the, your favorite comedian
4: but mine is basically I'm torn between the three uh, Tim Conway especially on the Carol Burnett Robin right. Williams without a doubt and then I just saw Tim Allen a few years ago in Milwaukee uh, either one of those but they're just great when yeah. they could just Work from,
1: you know, work from nothing. Yeah, I, I you know, um, Tim Conway, who I think just passed away last year, I remember I first saw him when he was on McHale's Navy back in the day, the old TV show, and then he went on to, to do all the, he was such great, he was so great on the Carol Burnett show. Yeah, no, thank, thanks for God. We'll just stick with Tim Conway, just an incredibly talented guy, no doubt about it. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, let's go to Dan in Port Washington. Dan, you're on WTMJ.
5: Uh, thanks, Jeff. Sure. Uh, my favorite is uh, Shemp from the Three Stooges. Uh, Shemp was your Shemp, favorite guy? Uh, had this,
1: yeah, he had, the, he had this
5: infectious laugh. If you um, go on uh, YouTube, the song of six pants, and you hear that laugh, it's almost like this drunkard laugh. Yeah. And um, it, it was just this crazy laugh, and I don't know if it was crazy, but if you listen to that laugh, yeah. You almost uh, bend over. I, mean, I it's was kind of
1: incredible. thanks for calling. I'm a Three Stooges fan. I was always kind of a of a curly guy myself, but yeah, Shemp came in after Curly left. Okay, let me uh we've just got all these different texts. I know if you take the time to send them, I should read at least some of them. Bob Newhart? Absolutely. Lenny Bruce. Yeah, a little before my time and very very cutting edge and a guy who talk about having demons he, he certainly had a lot of demons but um lenny bruce incredibly um incredibly talented as well let's see um da, 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 da. Uh, the um like a lot of people saying tim conway he's getting some of jerry seinfeld um certainly i mean seinfeld would be one of the great you know comedians at least modern day comedians uh chevy chase Yeah, Chevy Chase was just in Milwaukee. Carol Burnett, Harvey Korman, and Tim Conway. Don Rickles. So funny. I watch the old videos on YouTube. It brings me back to my childhood. People today need to watch him and let all the PC go by the wayside. Yes, Don Rickles was uh, he was the opposite of PC. Number of people are mentioning uh, Marquette alumni, Chris Farley, who passed away way too soon. Number of people also saying uh, George Carlin as well. And uh, going back to where we started, a lot of people also saying Rodney Dangerfield. I mean, th- those are just all great. If if I had to, uh, uh, Rob, it, it just, it kind of depends on and sort of my mood, but I, I'm gonna throw something else out there too. And I know this is incredibly politically incorrect. One of the first comedy albums I ever got as a kid was a Bill Cosby one. And I understand and and, and look, I, I understand, you know, Cosby was one of these guys that, you know, apparently had this whole ul- ulterior life. But I want to tell you some of the stuff that Cosby did, let's forget about the, the criminal action, not condoning it at all, but some of his fat Albert stuff and some of the stories the guy told. I mean uproariously funny. There is a reason why Bill Cosby was as successful as he was and that's because at least as a comedian and stuff and an observer of life he was incredibly talented. Not in any way condoning all the other stuff he did but um Rodney Dangerfield, certainly. I just love a good laugh. And um, appreciate you bringing up some of those. I thought this was a fun segment. Wanted to do it in honor of the passing of Terry Jones for all those of you who were fans of Monty Python. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.